This is CliffCentral.com. A very hearty welcome to all our listeners in South Africa and further afield. You are listening to Professor David Black, and we are going to be looking up in awe and in wonder, as always. To reach me in the studio, uh, kindly dial 0861 That's 0861 uh, the Twitter handle at cliffcentral.com, Facebook Cliff Central, the WeChat ID, and I love receiving your responses via WeChat is Cliff Central. My Twitter handle is at Starry Galaxy Man, at Starry Galaxy Man as always, and my webpage is www.davidblock.co.za. We're going to be kicking off today with an absolutely fascinating subject. I am in the process of writing a book. And of course, when you are in that process, uh, many stories, many intriguing mysteries come across your path. And so I'm entitling today's um, podcast and today's feed, Astronomers in the Stew. And I'm going to be exposing some of the most unbelievable stories where credit for discovery has gone to the wrong person. Now, I'm not just talking of small discoveries. I'm talking of some of the grandest discoveries in history. They have been attributed to the wrong person. It is, it's a recurring theme in my book. And I am, I encourage you just to Google this. Google expansion of the universe Hubble. So expansion of the universe and then H-U-B-B-L-E and just see what comes up. So we're just Googling that ourselves. Expansion of the universe Hubble. And there we are, the first one. I mean, uh, hundreds come up, Duncan. How many are coming up, Duncan? About uh, a couple of hundred thousand hits. So anyway, we're just going to the first one. So let's just keep this open. Now, this is just a random shot, which Duncan did. Um, Now, the universe, and I'll explain how we've discovered that it's expanding, but this is probably the greatest discovery uh, of all time in modern astronomy. Not in all of astronomy, but certainly in modern astronomy, I'm speaking about uh, what is probably the greatest discovery in modern times, the fact that the universe is not static and uh, is expanding. Now, Duncan, I'm not going to read it because I want you to read the brown. What? Who does it say discovered the expanding universe? Edwin Hubble. Now, that is what zillions of books tell you. Zillions of books will tell you that Edwin Hubble discovered the expanding universe. And in fact, you can go to textbooks, you can go to books on astronomy. And so because, uh, you know, Rena and Gareth like me to keep this really right at the cutting edge and neat and crisp and so on, I thought I want to give you some of the latest stuff because, I mean, this really I find absolutely amazing. So everyone really believes what you find on Google and what you find on Google is just repeated over and over and over, you know, literally a zillions of times is that Edwin Hubble discovered that the universe is expanding and it goes through a long, long uh, list 
of uh, his history. And finally, he is given the credit for discovering the expanding universe. Well, we're going to look at some other sites. Uh, I see Duncan's busy typing away because I find this fun because I want to, I want him to do what I did. And that is just to see how many times this is repeated. The fact that uh, Hubble discovered the, that the universe is expanding. And then I'll tell you who really did the discovery. And it was not Hubble. So it's just one. I just find this absolutely intriguing that here you can have an error perpetuated over so much time. But this is not just a small error, folks. This is, I'm talking about one of the greatest discoveries in astronomy. And it's been credited to the wrong person. So Duncan's going to go back to Google, I suppose. And we're going to Google again, uh, Hubble, Universe Expanding, and, uh, and so forth. But what's very interesting is in writing these books, I've discovered that credit has been given to the wrong person. Now, this is extremely serious in uh, my field because we try and live in a world of honesty and objectivity. My mind baffles. It's like saying, for example, on a grand scale, that Mickey Mouse was not invented by Walt Disney. I mean, it's really going to the cutting edge of it all. Can it be possible that just every book you buy at, a, you know, maybe, I don't know, I don't want to name bookstores, but uh, you know, is it possible that... Uh, so, there we are. So, D- Duncan's actually... Uh, it's quite interesting. Of course, this isn't the only one, but uh, he's just brought up 10 famous breakthroughs credited to the wrong person. And so let's just go up and see if we can fall down and see if we can find Hubble. And uh, so I see we've got um, uh, relativity and so on, but we're scrolling down and so on, video games and thus forth. But let me, let, let's just carry on with the, um, the central theme of uh, the story. I was in Belgium, and I was acting as a detective in Belgium. Why as a detective? Because I deeply believed, I I, I had a feeling, a gut feeling, much like perhaps a detective at Scotland Yard might have. I had a gut feeling that a lot of what's been attributed to Edwin Hubble was done by other people. And so I uh, went to Belgium where a relatively, uh, if I mentioned his name to you, uh, you wouldn't even recognize his name. But the person whose name I will announce to you shortly is in fact the actual discoverer of the fact that the universe is expanding. And that is one of the greatest discoveries of modern times. The fact that our universe is not static, but the fact that our universe is expanding. And I really find this pattern repeated in history. But it's extremely interesting that the person, Duncan, who discovered the expanding universe was not Hubble, but uh, a very interesting... Uh, there we go. Uh, let's just see. This is good. This is good. Okay. 
All right. So Duncan puts up, who really discovered the expanding universe? Uh, and really is on this little page, um, you, you know, really hi- um, highlighted. Now, there we are. This was some of the results which uh, I confirmed when I was in Belgium, is that um, a Belgian priest... I mean, isn't that amazing, Duncan, that one of the greatest discoveries of all time in astronomy uh, is made by a Belgian priest and nobody knows his name? I just find that, I just, you know, if we were talking about a small discovery, Duncan, I'd say, okay, this is just a blip in the pen. But this is one of the greatest discoveries in history. What is your take on that, Duncan? Uh, Professor, I just want to find out, who do you think had a bigger influence? Was it uh, Hubble or the priest, uh, the, the Belgian priest, uh, the, I'm talking about influence in terms of control over people and who was taken more seriously oh, in society. that's very interesting. Just repeat that again. Who had the most influence and the most control over people? Was it the priest or was mm-hmm. it Hubble? No. It who was richer? Uh, it was Hubble. Hubble definitely had far greater control. Uh, Hubble was in America, in the United States. He was at the Mount Wilson Observatory. He was one of the most famous astronomers of the, of his epoch. He's been, he's even been likened to Copernicus and, uh, uh, modern Copernicus. And so, uh, he had unprecedented control, uh, to the media, uh, unprecedented control. He even had his own press agent. Uh, he was close to Hollywood, so and he he was highly revered by his um, uh, by many of his peers, not by all of his peers, but by many of his peers. Now here comes the most intriguing part: is that he has a very humble priest, a Belgian priest, exceedingly humble. He's just going around doing his daily work. And in the year 1927, he discovers that the universe should be expanding according to Einstein's theory of general relativity and according to the observations which he had in hand. And his name was uh, Georges Lemaitre. So let me just spell it for you because you wouldn't know the name, but I'm now uh, unmasking a name... <laughs> the person who actually made one of the greatest discoveries of all time in modern astronomy, and you wouldn't know about it because the wrong persons received the credit. So, Georges Lemaitre, let me just spill it for you, especially if you're listening to me on a podcast as well, is you need to Google this. It's L for Larry, E, M for Mary, A, I for India, T for Tommy, R for Robert, E for Egg, Georges Lemaitre. Now, he was a Belgian priest, he was a Belgian astronomer, and he worked at the Catholic University of of Louvain. Uh, I visited that university, and uh, there you see it in your own eyes, Duncan. What does the the second sentence say? He proposed... Here we go. He proposed the theory of the expansion of the universe widely, and what's that word, Duncan? Oh, I can't even read that. Okay, misattributed to Edwin Hubble. He was the first to derive what is now known as Hubble's Law. And he was the first person to estimate what's called Hubble's Constant. 
So here is a telescope in space. You all have heard about it called the Hubble Space Telescope. And in part, it's to honor the contributions of Edwin Hubble. Now, I need to be perfectly honest and say that I am, I am not on any hobby horse here. I'm simply here to expose the truth. I'm not here to slander any names at all. I have the greatest respect for astronomers such as Hubble who spent many years at the telescopes. But it does concern me when credit does go to the wrong person, especially with as large a discovery as this. Why it went to the wrong person, I really do not know. Uh, Hubble was, of course, a highly influential person. Hubble himself did not really believe that the universe was expanding. That's the, the, that's the remarkable thing about this all is that, you know, Lemaitre came, Lemaitre was a brilliant theorist. And when I was in Belgium, I saw his work, his mathematical work. And Duncan, it's of the first order, it's of the first rank. But, I just found it amazing that in this paper, Georges Lemaitre actually predicts that the universe should be expanding, and he actually tells us at what rate the universe should be expanding. So let me just explain that to all of our listeners. If you regard the universe as some kind of balloon, just as an analogy, then uh, imagine you're an ant on the balloon, and the balloon is being blown up. So it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And if I blow faster and faster, the universe will expand at a higher and higher and higher and larger and larger rate. So that we call the expansion rate of the universe, which is known as Hubble's constant. Now, what's interesting is the name of Lemaitre is buried in the sands of time. And I made a huge fuss of this a few years ago, a huge fuss. If you Google uh, Duncan, Lemaitre and David Block, you'll see that there's been a lot of astronomy in the stew or astronomy in the spaghetti. Um, I'm sure there'll be many sites. We're doing this just as a fun exercise. I haven't, it, it just occurred to me, let's do it now. But uh, I exposed this big time a while ago. I mean, really big time. I mean, really, it's uh, uh, so David Block and so on. And there we are, Edwin Hubble in translation trouble. There we go. So let's just see, uh, Duncan, let's open that one. And so, yeah, there we are, Edwin Hubble in translation trouble. So let me just read from you. Um, Hubble is credited with a discovery that paved the way for modern astronomy. In 1929, he published a paper in which he reported uh, that galaxies uh, move away from us at speeds proportional to their distances. Uh, and then it says, if we go uh, scroll up a bit, Duncan, but Hubble was not the first to notice the correlation. That's true. In 1927, two years early, the Belgian astronomer Georges Lemaitre published a paper in French in which he derived um, the correct rate of expansion. And uh, my name is cited in many of these um, in many of these uh, articles. Now, this does concern me because to have something really named after one. 
Uh, oh, it does say here, Duncan. Can you see this? Block points out that v- Hubble was very concerned with credit and so on. So anyway, I became part of the stew in all of this mess. But I always like to uh, expose truth. In this case, I can't blame Hubble for just grabbing the credit. Um, there are uh, several other um, laws, which I'll discuss in a moment, which are misattributed to Hubble being the first. And I'll, I'll, exp- I'll explain them in a moment. But uh, the expansion of the universe to me is absolutely extraordinary. What does this tell you about science, Duncan? I mean, if you were to read, say, that, you know, the first heart transplant was not done by Chris Barnard, but was done, um, you know, by some unknown professor, uh, say, in uh, Austria. What would you feel? I mean, how would Chris Barnard feel? What would your feeling be? Uh, well, honestly, Professor, I think it's uh, absolutely disturbing because uh, a lot of people look for scientific proof in everything. Mm. So the fact that there's lies being told behind mm. uh, science and astronomy mm. is, is, is quite disturbing. I don't know mm. what you think about the term called uh, celestial censorship. Well, of course, I, um, I, I, I can't say I introduced that for the first time because that wouldn't be true. But um, uh, what I did do, I mean, they accused me of this. Um, you know, now the thing was, the thing is that, as I say, we're not just talking about, you know, McDonald's being attributed to Kentucky Fried Chicken. We're talking about one of the greatest discoveries of all time. Now, Duncan, have you ever heard of a Lemaitre Space Telescope? Never. Ever. Have you ever heard of a Lemaitre law? No, no, no. Sadly not. But this is the man who did it. This is the man who did it. This we are talking about the person who discovered that the universe is expanding. And nobody seems to have created any big fuss. Uh, I certainly threw the cat amongst the pigeons. And, you know, while it is perfectly true as shown by uh, an astronomer in Baltimore that uh, Hubble was not actively participating in the censorship. He was, whether he just allowed this to happen, who gave the name the Hubble constant, who gave the name the Hubble, you know, Hubble being the father of the expanding universe. We simply do not know, but we do know the truth. And the truth is that the the father, the astronomer who discovered that the universe is expanding is uh, Lemaitre. Now, there's some very other disturbing pieces to me, um, and I want to elucidate them. I became very, very friendly with um, one of the great astronomers, um, possibly of recent times, and his name was Alan Sandage. Now, if you Google his name, you'll come up with zillions of references too. It's A-L-L-A-N and then S for Sugar, A-N for Nelly, D for David, A-G-E, Alan Sandage. So I told Alan Sandage, I phoned him up, I visited him in Pasadena, uh, you know, he, he read the, there, I see many photographs of him and so on. That's right. And, you know, Sandwich truly was one of the greatest living astronomers at the Carnegie Observatories in Pasadena. He really, um, but it's interesting here, it says he determined the first accurate value of Hubble's constant in the age of the universe. 
Uh, and it says correctly here now what I'm reading. Sandage was one of the most influential astronomers of the 20th century. So what I'm telling you now, uh, you know, comes from the person who's one of the greatest astronomers of the 20th century. And um, he could not believe what we were going to really unfold. Because, you know, yes, it was true that Georges Lemaitre deserved the credit, but could it be true that perhaps Hubble wasn't involved in this one at all uh, with regard to being the father of the expanding universe? But um, are there other concrete examples I can give you where we know that somebody else did the work and where we know that it's been called uh, incorrectly by Hubble's name? So just as one example... I'm going to ask Duncan to Google something. Uh, let it be Hubble Galaxy Classification. So that's just as simple as that. Hubble and the classification of galaxies. So let's just see what comes up on Google, the Hubble classification. And there we are. So I see just on one screen, one, two, three, four, five. You know, the, uh, it says uh, 410,000 results we've picked up now for Hubble classification. Prof, I've got a question. Yes. Uh, what exactly did Hubble bring to the whole discovery? Was there anything he maybe put to the table or something that he thought about or discovered to the whole expansion of the universe? Well, what... what the general, it's a very, very deeply uh, uh, touching and profound question, Duncan. And uh, Hubble was a master, um, a master observer. He certainly uh, did some remarkable observations. But, um, for example, this, let's just keep this up, the Hubble classification scheme. Uh, there's something called the tuning fork. You can see it looks like a tuning fork. Mm. Oh, it actually says the tuning fork diagram. And for, you know, wherever I go, people tell, talk to me about the Hubble tuning fork. It, uh, to, to those listening to me, it looks like a tuning fork used in music where you strike it and, for example, it might give you the note of middle C or so forth. So it's called the Hubble tuning fork. But what's very interesting, Duncan, is if you go back to Hubble's papers, specifically his one in 1926 where he classifies galaxies, there's no tuning fork. There's no tuning fork. Oh. And so, again, um, Professor Ken Freeman and myself, uh, we wrote a whole book about this. We really did. It's called Shrouds of the Night. It's available on Amazon.com. Uh, we wrote a whole, ch we wrote chapters in the book on this about these extraordinary, what we regarded anyway as extraordinary finds. Uh, there's still no Lemaitre telescope up in space. Uh, and I will persist to my dying day in ensuring that Lemaitre does get the credit he deserves. But anyway, back to the Hubble tuning fork, um, widely misattributed to Edwin Hubble, widely so. Um, Hubble actually, what happened, Duncan, is Hubble got the idea from an astronomer called Sir James Jeans. <laughs> and uh, Sir James Jeans actually, uh, in his book, in a great book, mentioned uh, the use of a tuning fork as a possible example of, um, you know, uh, classifying galaxies and showing a diagram thereof. But it really does bring me to a central theme you alluded to, Duncan, and that is this. If it is true 
that some of the greatest laws, such as this, are misattributed to the wrong person. What else is going wrong in science? Mm. If this gets allowed to be swept under the carpet, as it has, if people are remaining silent about this, or most people are remaining silent, then what else is swept under the carpet? And that is what I want to tell our listeners. What I'll tell you will shock you. It'll shock you to the core. But I'm going to be honest and I'll tell you anyway. When an astronomer writes a paper, a paper is not just a piece of paper, but it's a research article, Duncan. Mm. He or she has to submit it to a board of editors. And those editors decide to send it out to what we call referees. These are not referees like you see at soccer. These are real master experts on in the fields and... Um, now, let's just imagine a hypothetical situation. Let's just, just to start this, the ball rolling. Suppose Lemaitre sent his paper to Edwin Hubble. Now, Hubble's working in the same field. Hubble's also working on the expansion of the universe. Not working on the expansion of the universe, but the velocities of galaxies. and so. What do you think Hubble would fictitiously have done if he got a paper from Georges Lemaitre? What do you think would have happened? I would probably just adapt all that information and make it mine, you know. Yeah, that's right. Extract take it a bit further. That, that's right. Take it further. And that's what Hubble did in 1929 is, you know, I think that there was meager data before that. Hubble secured some incredible data, and I give him full credit for that, together with Milton Humerson. They really pushed the boundaries. And the, but what they did was, I would say, improve on the value of the Lemaitre constant, which was derived in 1927, uh, two years before Hubble published his refinement of that in 1929. What's very interesting is I, I've, I've, I've presented these results at several major conferences. They've been published um, in several leading uh, books and journals and so forth. But... Uh, you can't get the man off the pedestal. And that, that's not my desire. I'm not here to get a man off a pedestal. But I'm here to get a guy elevated whose name is buried in the sands of time. Mm. And that is Georges Lemaitre. You know, it's exactly what, you know, for example, we fought for in South Africa is to let truth prevail. Not lies, but uh, truth. And so what I was saying about writing a research paper is that we present it to a board. They then send it out to referees. Now, if you happen to, if you, if the editors happen to send the paper out, your research article, out to um, a referee who's working in your territory, that referee might say, "This paper is bunkum. Let it go." But what they'll do is they'll take the ideas. And then publish it as their own. Or sell the ideas to people who yeah. might be interested. Well, that's right. I mean, in the case of academic astronomy, selling is not usually done, of course. But certainly, I remember a case where Alan Sandage told me that he left a certain number of his research ideas on his desk. And he went down to have tea. And when he came back to his desk, he didn't notice anything amiss. But ten months later, he told me, all those ideas were published by somebody else. Mm. What they did is they went, when he went to have tea, <laughs> they quickly went to his desk, grabbed all the results, 
um, went through them, saw that they're beautiful and elegant and all correct. And uh, Bob's your uncle, attributed to the wrong person. Sandage did the work. Now, with regard to what uh, Prof. Freeman and I discovered uh, about many of these credits going to the wrong person, it becomes very, very alarming, and it means that there's a certain amount of control in science. And I have to tell you that there is. It's sad for me to have to say this because we like to think of the scientific enterprise as being a totally open one, an objective one. But I'm sure what I've said to you, to you today, Duncan, would uh, shock you in a sense, doesn't it? It definitely does. I remember a time in tertiary when we were still being taught about patents and stuff. Mm-hmm. It turns out that most people that we think uh, origi- uh, re- really did or invent a certain product mm. or a service – Sometimes it, it, it wasn't really that person. It was all a matter of uh, if this person had more influence or more liked by the community and society yes. and more money. Yes. So sometimes uh, yes. your idea could go to the biggest bidder. Yes. And I, I think that's just amazing. In other words, what you're actually saying to me, Duncan, is that the person with most power, mm. the person with most control, the person with most influence amongst his peers is the person who, who perhaps will see to it, if he can, that his name, or have it believed that his name is, that he is in fact the uh, discoverer of this. What about uh, collaboration? Didn't they want to collaborate uh, these old scientists and astronomers back in the days? Or was it always a case of, no, I came up with this idea, let it's me be the man? It's always been a case of I. It's always been a case of I. There's been one example I could cite after another going down the millennia of um, discoveries being attributed to the wrong person. In fact, and this is a fascinating exercise for you to Google, um, it's called Stigler's Law. So that's S for sugar, T-I-G-L-E-R, Stigler's Law. And it's coming up, Stigler's Law of Eponymy. There we go, Stigler's Law of Eponymy. Wow, Duncan. Now, this is quite amazing. And this one is really interesting. It says that no scientific discovery is named after its original discovery. How do you like that? (laughs) (laughs) That is true. So, in other words, I mean, this law goes to, this law actually says what I'm, you know, emphasizes what I'm trying to tell you today in in this little exciting podcast, I trust. But, I mean, I just find it amazing. Stigler's Law of Eponymy says that uh, no scientific discovery is named after its original discoverer. That is astounding. I mean, that's really highlighting what I'm saying here. Absolutely, Professor. And so this really is alarming. And so, you know, if true, which it is, Stigler's Law of Eponymy, uh, that the expansion rate of the universe, sorry, not only the expansion rate, but that the father of, you know, the expanding universe is Edwin Hubble. And you can't blame Hubble there, as I say, because Hubble didn't believe that the universe was expanding anyway. So I don't know how this crept into the media. I don't know where it crept into the media. I have got no idea why it was called Hubble, you know, Hubble being the father of the uh, expansion of the universe. But, what can we do to correct it? What can we do at Gareth Cliff? What can we do at Cliff Central to I correct I think uh, Hubble should have stood up as the man and said no. 
I agree. I mean, if Hubble didn't even believe that the universe is expanding and, uh, you know, Hubble is credited with being the father of the expanding universe, I actually think uh, we can just try this one. But if we Google Hubble and Time magazine, I think Hubble was actually on the cover of Time magazine. Um, let's just have a look under images and Time magazine. But I think, uh, let's just see. I think there's... There's going to be something here about uh, in images, certainly, if we go to images, Duncan. We're looking at Hubble and Time magazine. And I just want to see if we can... Ah, there we are, Duncan's got a first shot. There we are. Now, let's just see what it says. It's This is Time magazine coming out. Let's just make this a little bit bigger if we can. I can't quite see what this says, Astronomer Hubble, but... Uh, uh, this is fascinating because this is Hubble on Time magazine. And we're just waiting for this to load. So let's just have a look here. Uh, let's just, uh, I believe, uh, yes, I believe I'm absolutely right, but I just need to put on my glasses to read what's happening here. It says, um, it speaks about the expanding universe. Um, Will Palomar's 200-inch uh, something, the expanding universe. So there you are. Hubble's on the cover. I don't see Lemaitre on the cover. This is Time magazine for February 9, 1948. And it speaks about the expanding universe right on the cover. It's on the cover of Time magazine. Who discovered the expanding universe, Duncan? Georges Lemaitre. Georges Lemaitre. That's right. I want to find out something, Professor. Yes. So now that uh, Vitz now says, Professor discovered... Now, lady. Mm. Yes. Yes. Would you gladly accept that and just you move know, on with well, your life? Well, I mean, that's really, that's really an interesting, I mean, that's, that's in a, I mean, that is in a sense, because Hubble, Hubble was alive when Time magazine was published in 1948. So here he, you know, they speak about the expanding universe and Hubble didn't certainly stand up to the best of my knowledge anyway. And say, well, listen, I don't even believe that the universe is expanding. Yet Time magazine believed that he was the father of the expanding universe. I think he wanted to be remembered as that guy. Well, I think so. And as I say, you know, I have great sympathy for someone who's seeking so much public recognition. I do, because there's obviously some sort of emptiness or hole. But... It's extraordinary when you hit the cover of Time magazine. And to answer uh, your question, Duncan, no, I couldn't accept that I've discovered Homo and a lady. Um, you know, people might want to say, well, David Block is well known on radio and TV and he's adverts, so let's give Homo and a lady, let's give David Block the credit. But I certainly wouldn't be able to sleep at night with them. Yeah. Um, but what happens really, with Duncan, with all of these stories or with many of them, is that the person then dies. For some reason, the media tag on to the fact that it must be Hubble. Nobody does any soul searching. Again, I still don't understand. I mean, Hubble was alive in 1948. Hubble would have seen this Time magazine article. Hubble would have seen mm. this Time magazine cover wherein they speak of the expanding universe. Um, so that's just one example, is the father of the expanding universe is in fact Georges Lemaitre and not uh, Edwin Hubble. For reasons which I do not know, but here we've got it in front of us, he is credited 
as the father of the expanding universe. As I say, in this instance, he didn't even believe that the universe was expanding. So why he'd be termed the father and why he didn't stand up and correct it, I suppose, is what we are asking right now. But it does tell us something about the methodologies, Duncan, of science, and that is that the scientific route, as I have understood it over these years of my research, is not a free road for all. It's one of much control. You know, Duncan, I'm writing a book on Galileo Galilei, and as you know, the church of the time tried to control exactly what people should believe regarding whether the earth is at the center of the universe or not. Now, you mentioned control and influence. What do you feel like, Duncan? I mean, when I tell you this, when you look at this Time magazine. Uh, the first image I see of, uh, what's his name again? Uh, the one you're looking at. Uh, Hubble, Hubble, Hubble. Sorry, my mm-hmm. bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, just the, the immediate Im- image I get. He, he's got the presence of a president. He, he, lo- he looks very wealthy, oh, yes. well-groomed. Yes. He looks like someone you'd really want to be the face of something. Yes. And then I saw the yes. picture of... Uh, Le Maire. Le- he yes. looks like a really honest, hard worker. Yeah, right. He, which he was. Yeah. And uh, because yeah. they're all... Uh, Hubble came from, was based in America and Le Maire was based in Belgium. Belgium, yes. And I think during that time... America had a bigger influence throughout oh, totally, the whole world. Totally. So totally. It, it wanted the it, like like America wanted to be the first country to to land on the moon. Right. It's the same right. as it wanted to be the first country that uh, discovered all these major right. discoveries. Could well be. It could well be. I mean, you, you. I mean, Time Magazine, Duncan, certainly would be the most well. Time Magazine and Life Magazine, but certainly one of the, one of the most influential magazines of the time. Uh, that's interesting that you say uh, Hubble did have an immense presence that I am well aware of in my discussions with other astronomers is that he did have an immense presence. He, it's interesting, I had never thought of this, but you do, did, you do say he does have that sort of presidential look. Um, he was regarded as the face of astronomy. Mm. He was regarded as the face of astronomy. Remember, he had access to telescopes at Mount Wilson, which no other astronomers had access to, really. He didn't allow people to have access, or...? Well, that's also an interesting question. Um, <laughs> he really... He, this was his domain. Let me just put it that way. This He regarded this field of uh, in which he was involved, and especially the telescopes at Mount Wilson. I don't think any other astronomers who weren't working with him, um, you know, would be freely allowed access to classify galaxies. Um, somebody said in a book that um, it's a book called uh, – uh, it was a book by Harry Nussbaumer um, – and he, he speaks of Hubble being fiercely territorial. Mm. And um, that is the Hubble I've come to know, is a man who was fiercely territorial. If he was discovering a certain area, then, of course, um, you know, that was then uh, his domain. So there we have it with regard to the father of the expanding universe, um, not being discovered by Edwin Hubble, but being discovered by uh, Georges Lemaitre. 
Uh, there's several other examples. For example, I've told you about the Hubble tuning fork. That should be the genes tuning fork. Um, there's also something known as Hubble's law with regard to um, the brightness profiles across galaxies. That is not right. That was discovered by John Reynolds. And there's much more. If you want to read about all this, what I'm sharing today, it's been published in New York. Um, if you go to Amazon.com, you can actually order the book called Shrouds of the Night. And uh, it's all documented there and uh, was more recently documented in a volume uh, called Lessons from the Local Group. Uh, Duncan, let's just Google that as we conclude. Lessons from the Local Group um, in Amazon or whatever you want to go to. Lessons from the Local Group. But uh, there, it should come up. There we are. What does it say, Duncan? A conference in honor of... Still loading? So it's still loading. Oh, server error occurred. <laughs> okay, well, let's just go to Amazon maybe and type it in. Uh, so we'll just go to Amazon.com. And I just want to... I'm doing this simply because I want you to realize that we've really tried our best to get this right and to get... Um, so lessons from the local group we'll just put in there lessons from the local group and Duncan will then read to us what we find in this book so there again we tried very hard to let the truth be known um, this book was just pu published a little while ago mm. do you want to read the whole title Duncan? Lessons from the local group a conference in honor of David Block and Bruce L. McGreen and 2015, is it? Yes. And 2015. So that's, you see, they're very recent. So this was an international conference. They asked me to speak. This was my a conference which was organized, and I say this very humbly, so by Professor Ken Freeman in, the, in Australia. He organized a conference um, for me and for Bruce Elmergreen. And I stood up and, you know, people were sitting on the edges of their seats and, you know, they were, uh, you know, who actually had discovered the expanding universe? Who was the first to discover it? Who was the first to, to numerically compute its rate of expansion? And I stood up here, Duncan, and I told them about George Lemaitre. I told them about John Reynolds. Mm. I exposed the people's names whose well, their names are buried in the sands of time. For whatever reason, they are buried in the sands of time. Until I spoke today, none of you would have thought that the father of... You, know, you haven't heard of the Lemaitre Space Telescope. And so, in conclusion, as I wrap up in the last two minutes, I'd like to say this. I'd like to say that in my lifetime, certainly, I'd like to see a telescope somewhere or named after uh, Georges Lemaitre. I really would. I really believe it's right. I believe it's correct. Uh, we know that Lemaitre is the father of the expanding universe. And so we need to honor him. We're talking about one of the greatest discoveries of all time, well, certainly in modern astronomical times. Uh, if you want to read up more, just go to Lessons from the Local Group on Amazon.com. That's www.amazon.com and just type in, like Duncan did, Lessons from the Local Group. But as we conclude, Duncan, I suppose 
Which words come to mind? I suppose you've spoken of influence, you've spoken of control, power, but there's also power, and there's also something which you used, which I thought is very appropriate, and that is the face of. And Hubble was regarded as the face of modern astronomy, and uh, Lemaitre, Lemaitre, and Reynolds, and Sir James Jeans, and others, who really did the foundational work, their names, in this instance, tend to be buried in the sands of time. You've been listening to Professor David Block, looking up in wonder. Until next week, I can't wait to join you. Bye. This is CliffCentral.com.